It is on, it's an honor to be here, guys. This is my first time on campus, so I'm like observing the culture of you all for the first time. But I knew the culture before through a lot of my colleagues. I have many friends here on faculty, and uh, you guys are happy here, and that's a godly attribute, honestly. You you are you are serious minded, of course, but you're happy, and it's it's refreshing. I'm not implying anything about my context when I'm saying that. <laughs> We're very happy, too. It's just a Louisville version of happiness. <laughs> well, what I want to do is let you in on a conversation that's sort of going on in biblical counseling right now, and as well as sort of Christian counseling at large. I'm going to draw our attention to a specific issue of considering how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge, okay? But, but I'm going to do it in the context of considering how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge in the care of people, okay? And so I want to keep this talk grounded in the, the practice. We, in counseling, you quickly learn you don't have the luxury of sort of staying in a theoretical understanding of, okay, this is how the authority of Scripture works, this is how the sufficiency of Scripture works, this is how this attribute of Scripture works, and you kind of just understand it and casually move your way after you've worked out how you would word something. You actually have to make decisions in a person's life on what, what, what sources of knowledge would be helpful for this person dealing with this particular trouble or problem in their lives. So we're going to be grounding it in the care of people. Let me say a couple introductory things to just sort of segue us into where I'll get to a main point for you. But for those of you who are married and have children, or those of you who are, whether you're married or not, you're teaching Sunday school uh, for children, which question would you rather get from the back of your minivan or from the back of your Sunday school class, okay? Teacher or dad or mom, why did God make animals, okay, versus teacher or dad or mom, why did God let Adam and Eve sin, okay? Which question would you rather get? The answer is obvious. You want the animal question all day long, okay? Why? Why do you want this one? Because a question like, why did God make animals, has no internal tension within it. Okay, so that, that's, that's, that's the, the, the concept I want to emphasize here. There's no internal ten tension in that question. So when you answer that, how would you answer that? You can think for yourself, but you're probably going to appeal simply to one single characteristic or feature of God. God is creator. He's a cre... I just sounded like Al Mohler. He always says creator for something. Um, he, he... Yeah, a disciple is no greater than his master. Um, <clears throat> God is creator. So you appeal to his attribute of creativity to answer that question, and it, you can tie it up in a nice bow, and it's very satisfying, okay? But the question of why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin, the internal tension in that means you can't just appeal to one attribute or feature of God to answer that question in a satisfying way. You have to appeal to multiple features of God. So the goodness of God has to be appealed to because implied in the question is an acknowledgement that God is righteous 
and sin doesn't square with that righteousness, okay? Then you have to throw in the complexity of God's sovereignty over good and over evil. He is sovereign over both, but his personal relationship to the, the activities of good versus evil is different, okay? But my point to you is you have to appeal to multiple different aspects of reality to answer that question. The, agency, the moral agency of human beings, what righteousness is, what mercy is. It's a proleptic uh, 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 indicator of the need for the full breadth of redemptive history to unfold. My point to you is simply this. This question requires dimensionality, okay? By dimensionality, I just mean you're looking at different dimensions or different angles of the question. But like we said, all of us prefer the first question. Why? I think it's because we don't like, we don't like dimensionality because it requires of us thinking about one issue or one circumstance from multiple different angles that will, that will eventually arrive at a question, whereas this is just easy. It's direct. So, in the field of biblical counseling, we sort of are wrestling with a similar type of question in terms of the complexity. How does Scripture relate to other sources of knowledge? And, and the temptation is to try to make a complex question like that, especially when it comes to the care of people, and we really love people and we don't want to muff this, okay? So, so, so the temptation is to try to get that question over into this category as quickly as possible of just a one-dimensional, singular, straight answer on that. And so the two characteristics of Scripture that, are most, that, that have occupied this conversation longest, I think, are the sufficiency of Scripture and the authority of Scripture. And what I want to demonstrate to you in this lecture is that these characteristics address different, but related, but different questions about how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge. So, Here's my main idea, okay? And, and you'll, you'll hear this repeated throughout, okay? So just, you can make your mental notes here. My main idea is scripture has multiple attributes and each one provides a different kind of answer to the question of how scripture relates to other sources of knowledge. The sufficiency and the authority of scripture are closely related, but they're not synonymous attributes. And each one gives a different dimension to how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge. Does that make sense so far? That's my main idea. But before I unpack this main idea, I want to give one limitation to this discussion that I already mentioned earlier. Uh, I'm seeking to address this idea in the context of caring for people, or, or maybe even more expansively, knowledgeably caring for people. The knowledgeable care of people requires us to have a termination point to our theory of how different resources relate to each other. So that termination point is this. You, you, what you're trying to, to always be driving to is how do I help this person respond to the context that they're in? Okay. So when I say care of people, I'm trying to like drive us at a very specific task that we're getting towards. Okay. 
whatever their trouble is, whatever their problem is, whatever the things being displayed in their life, I am asking the question as a counselor, how is this person, as an image bearer of God, responding to the complexities of their context, their individual unique circumstances, okay? So any thought or any discussion we have on how scripture relates to other sources of knowledge is driving at that task, okay? So we have to help people see how scripture directs our use of other sources of knowledge to help that person respond to their context in ways that are, that are faithful, in ways that are healthy, in ways that are productive. So... At the end of this talk, I'm going to apply the main idea. I'm just giving you a hint of where I'm going in terms of the application, okay? And then I'll unpack the actual ideas. I've just found it's easier to just give you the good stuff first, okay? So at the end of this talk, I'm going to give practical application to this main idea to the biblical counseling movement. I'll say some specific things there. But those practical points I'm going to get to are going to maintain, I think, a necessary tension that will always exist when we understand how scripture relates to other sources of knowledge, okay? So here's the tension. On the one hand, I think biblical counselors can inadvertently answer multi-dimensional questions of how scripture relates to other sources of knowledge one-dimensionally, too simplistically. That doesn't serve the truth well. Often, the preferred dimension is sufficiency. That's that th this is a vital attribute, but one of the points I'm going to be making is that's not the only attribute of Scripture that we have to use in answering the question of how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge. Scripture has dimensionality, okay? So that's one point of the tension that you're going to hear applied. The other point of the tension you're going to hear applied is, on the other hand, biblical counselors will nevertheless have to guard against a multi-dimensional quagmire, okay, where where uh, of how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge, so that so that we have to think carefully about how do we actually arrive at an answer to should I use this source? How reliable is this source? Should I be studying this uh, uh, area of, of psychotherapy or this philosophy or this whatever it is? So. I'm relating this all to the biblical counseling field and, and Christian counseling in general, but I think there's going to be implications of this to all of your fields, to all of our fields, because all of us have to interact with knowledge that is external to, not contained in Scripture. So let me start to unpack the original main idea. So I'm going to start with the first part of that main idea I've already given you. I'll repeat it here. Scripture has multiple attributes. And each one provides a different kind of answer to the question of how scripture relates to other sources of knowledge. So, uh, so we could pick any one of the different attributes of scripture. And my main point to you is this. If we're thinking correctly, I think we want to try to discern what question is actually being answered about how scripture relates to other sources of knowledge by that attribute. So I'm going to ramp up to sufficiency and authority, the two main ones, by giving you a couple examples of other attributes right now to just ramp us up there, okay? So for instance, you all know the pers perspicuity of Scripture or the clarity of Scripture, okay? What question is, can be answered as we think about Scripture's relationship to the other sources of knowledge? And I think it's something like this. 
are other sources of knowledge necessary to make Scripture understandable to everyone? That's the question that's being answered by the attribute of clarity. And I think the answer is something like, Scripture's, scripture's essential message is clear enough for anyone seeking to understand it. Okay? I think that's one of the, in, the, the answers of clarity of Scripture. Okay? I should probably put the Holy Spirit in there in terms of illumination. So put that, redact that in your brain. Okay? Or here's another attribute, the reliability of Scripture. Okay? I think the particular question that the reliability answers regarding how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge is, how do we judge the reliability of other sources of knowledge in comparison to the reliability of Scripture? And then our answer is, Scripture alone is perfectly reliable because of the character of its author and the integrity of its transmission. Okay? Do you see that these are slightly different questions that are being asked and answered by these different attributes? Let me throw one more in to just continue to ramp us up. What about the necessity of Scripture, another attribute? I think the question that the necessity answers is something like, why do we need Scripture to know God instead of just relying on other sources of knowledge? And the answer is, Scripture is required to know God as he intends to be known since he testifies about himself beyond what he's revealed in creation. So Scripture is necessary. That's the question that's being answered there. So, so far, I've just given you those as examples, and each attribute contributes its own dimension to the overall relationship that Scripture has to other sources of knowledge. All of these dimensions are related to each other, but they're not interchangeable. This is, this is an important point as we move towards sufficiency and authority. They're not interchangeable. So if I were to answer the reliability question with the clarity answer, it wouldn't work. Scripture's clarity does not necessarily help us judge the relative reliability of another source of knowledge. Okay? Or conflating reliability with clarity does not make us more discerning in how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge, much like if we were to conflate, uh, if our furnace broke down and you were conflating an electrical problem with a mechanical problem, and you are trying to solve a mechanical problem by, by, fix, by looking at the electrical board. It, it's, they're, they're, they're two different dimensions or aspects of the one reality. So, that moves us towards sufficiency and authority. So, let's, let's think about this. So, that's the second part of my main idea. I'll repeat it again. The sufficiency and the authority of Scripture are closely related, but not synonymous attributes. And each one gives a different dimension to how Scripture relates to other sources of knowledge. So, let's... Let's, let's come up with at least some working definitions here. And I realize what I'm about to do, okay? Like, I'm not going to give you the authoritative definition of either sufficiency or authority. I'm just going to give them, and we're not going to debate them, because the point is I want to get to how these function rather than sort of the, the nature or the essence of them, okay? So sufficiency... I think we could think of it as as the special revelation of God. Scripture contains all the words of God we need to know him by faith and to function by faith in the world that he has made, okay? So it, it, it 
the sufficiency of the Bible means we don't need anything more than that to, to know God, to know salvation, to live our lives of faith, okay? 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 is often cited for this. You know this. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I know that's not merely a proof text. We would have to look at sort of how the whole Bible unfolds in terms of its, its uh, testimony to the sufficiency, but that is an off-cited uh, reference. So authority, though, is not exactly the same thing as sufficiency. Authority is an implication of sufficiency, but I would describe that as this way. As the special revelation of God, Scripture is supremely true in the knowledge and values it expresses, thus acting as the standard for all other knowledge and value. Okay, And so we're told by Peter in his second letter to, that, we, that, are, that we have to pay attention that means regard as the standard, the words of scripture as the words of God. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the spirit. Okay, So those are just quick working definitions of sufficiency and authority. Now I want to ask the, the, do the same thing we did with the other attributes. What, what questions are those two attributes actually seeking to answer? And if we can if we can identify the question, then we're a step closer to, I think, knowledgeably engaging Scripture with other sources of knowledge. Okay, So, sufficiency. I think the question that flows from sufficiency is, do other sources of knowledge add to God's inspired testimony about who he is and his saving purposes for human life? Okay, I think that's the question that flows from uh, 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 at least a historic understanding of sufficiency. The answer over here is no. Scripture alone provides the direct testimony of God about who he is and his purposes for human life. No source adds to his direct testimony, which he provided as our ultimate authority, which moves us down to authority. What question is being, what question flows from authority or what question is being answered from that? I think it's this. How does the testimony of God about who he is and his purpose for human life arbitrate the knowledge we gain from other sources? I think that's what the question authority is seeking to answer. So, so the answer here is, as ultimate authority, Scripture is the standard that measures all other sources of knowledge. And here's, here, here are two concepts that, that we're going to focus on a lot because we're going to really launch into this answer, okay? So scripture is the standard that measures all other sources of knowledge, both in content and priority of that knowledge. Those are two very important concepts for my talk here. So content and priority of knowledge. Scripture is the measurement of both. The authority of other sources and knowledge are derived from their adherence to this standard. So, by considering the different questions that I laid out that these different attributes answer, we're able to see more clearly, I think, the different ways that sufficiency and authority interact with other sources of knowledge. So if I could describe that, in, in sort of with, with some verbal force behind it, I think sufficiency relates by excluding 
And I think authority relates by arbitrating, okay? Do, do you get the distinction I'm making here? A, when we think about how sufficiency as an attribute of the word of God makes the word of God relate to other sources of knowledge, it's an excluding function, okay? But I think when we ask the question of authority, how does the authority of the word of God help us relate to other sources of knowledge, I think it's an arbitrating function, okay? So let me unpack both these ideas. Sufficiency relates by excluding, okay? Here's a metaphor. Sufficiency is like an on-off switch. There's no degrees of sufficiency. Something is either sufficient or it is not. If, if I had the control of the lights right now, I could flip it on, flip it up. These would be on in their fullest potential, or I could flip it down and they would be off entirely, okay? That's how sufficiency as a conceptual category works. So it's an exclusive category. God's word is sufficient to provide his inspired testimony of himself, the world, human life, salvation. Sufficiency excludes all other sources of knowledge from the status that scripture holds as the ultimate authority. So sufficiency does not mean that the Bible contains in content form everything we need for living in the, in the context in which we were placed or caring for that particular individual in front of you. There's plenty of knowledge that you have to have that's not contained in the scriptures. Sufficiency was never supposed to mean exclusive uh, uh, source of knowledge. What it is supposed to mean is it is the exclusive source of divinely inspired knowledge that God intended to be authoritative, okay, which, which, which we're going to unpack. But here's my point. The sufficiency issue is a hard yes and no about the scope of ultimate authority against all other claims for ultimate authority. Does that make sense? It's a hard yes or no. It's an on-off. <clears throat> but authority, we take that attribute, authority relates by arbitrating, as I've been saying. So authority is a category of degree, okay? It's a category of degree, or it's a dimmer switch. So if, I, if, if, if these are, maybe they are installed, if I, if I went back there and instead of the, it being an on-off switch, it's a dimmer switch. You know how those work, right? When it's high, the lights are bright. When I, when I sort of go three-quarters with it, they're three-quarters bright. When I go one-quarter with it, they're one-quarter bright. When I turn it off, it's off. It's, there are degrees. It is variable, in other words. So something can have, an external source of knowledge can have a relative degree of authority as it's derived from the standard of authority above it. Does that make sense? So God's word is the ultimate authority that determines and arbitrates the level of authority in any other given source of knowledge. So remember those two things I said. It arbitrates both the content and the priority or emphases of that knowledge that's found outside of scripture. So every other source of knowledge, like, you know, we haven't even, I haven't even given you categories of other source of knowledge so far, but you could talk about anything from personal observations. That's an external source of knowledge from scripture, your own observations of people, or the collected observations of other people that researchers are coming up with all the time. 
Other sources of knowledge are your, the, the history books that you're reading, the, the, the testimony of other people, research studies. You, you get what I'm saying. These are sources of knowledge. And every other source of knowledge is authoritative only to the degree that the content and prioritization conform to God's perspective as revealed in Scripture. Okay? That's their degree of authority. So here's the point. The authority issue is one of degree about the function of Scripture over these lesser authorities. It's, it's, it's one of degree. So let's think of this. Let's think of a test case here. Okay? Imagine a person from your church is seeking help for a long-term pattern of mental obsessions and behavioral compulsions. Okay, so just to make it really easy and probably familiar with, with something, let's say it's sort of a hand-washing obsession, okay, or a germ obsession. And they have found, this, this goes beyond the little silly thing we always say to each other, oh, dude, he's got OCD, he's always squirting, like, hand sanitizer into his hands, okay? You, you've heard that language before. Even my kids say, I have OCD about various things, like the refrigerator door lining up perfectly or something like that, Okay. But I'm meaning, I'm meaning something beyond our, our quirkiness. I'm meaning something that's debilitating to people. And I counseled a, a, a young man one time who was a, a medical resident, and he was so fearful that the germs on his hand, he wasn't actually concerned it was going to get him sick. He was concerned it would get other people sick in the hospital. He was so fearful, he would wash his hands, and then sort of he would air dry them, and then with, with, with all his effort, he would try to pull the rubber glove out of the, out of the box to put them directly on without touching the edge of the box because he was thinking that would transfer germs onto his and, and then trap them in here when he had the rubber gloves on and then he would get somebody sick. And there were times where he would go through multiple boxes of gloves because each time he wasn't sure that he was able to avoid the edge. Okay? So you're trying to help someone like that. What, what sources of knowledge are helpful in understanding this man's experience and helping direct his responses to his context? How does scripture relate to those various sources of knowledge that, ad that address different elements of his experience? In other words, how do we understand what the sufficiency of Scripture and the authority of Scripture mean for helping us know and answer these questions, okay? So, just, there's, there's, a lot of other, there's a lot of examples I could give of other sources of knowledge that are about this particular issue of obsessions and compulsions. There's a sort of a traditional cognitive behavioral approach which uses talk therapy to address thought patterns and try to sort of disassociate fear associations that way. There's, there's, there's pharmacology. We could talk about the, 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 uh, psycho, uh, the, the psychopharmacological um, things of, of using medication to sort of uh, blunt the intensity of the anxious response that he's experiencing as he's doing this, okay? We could talk about those just for sake of time. I think what I want to talk about as an example is um, something called exposure and response prevention treatment, okay? Which utilizes the environmental exposure to the object of fear, and then, and then it focuses on preventing the 
behavioral follow-through of a compulsion, okay? So in that situation, the obsession is, oh, no, I'm going to kill somebody with the germs on my hands. The compulsion that helps him feel better temporarily in the moment is washing his hands again and trying again to just thread the needle perfectly to get the glove back, okay? That brings him a temporary sense of relief. So it's, that's, a, that's a rewarded behavior in one sense, okay? So this ERP treatment basically says expose him to that situation and then prevent him from doing that compulsive behavior. And, and, and in that way, you learn, he learns to break the association of fear by, by realizing, okay, nobody actually died, okay? the thing that I was most fearful of being threatened by did not come about. And then, the, and then just God made our bodies to, to, to have this glorious process called habituation, okay? It's, it's the reason that we can function as human beings and not have to think through everything to its finest detail that we've repeated and repeated and repeated. But, but there, there's sensory habituation where eventually it will break. You, by not giving into the behavior, you no longer get that little sort of adrenaline shot of relief or comfort and therefore that the behavior loses its reward and you no longer need it, okay, through this process of habituation, okay? So what do you do with insights like these? Because you know what? Most of the researchers that you're reading are not approaching this from a Christian theological standpoint. They don't acknowledge this, the authority of Scripture. They're not even thinking about Scripture, Okay? What do you do with those other sources <clears throat> of knowledge? Okay? So if I'm trying to apply, not, I, I don't want to undercut the conversation by merely pointing to sufficiency as the only attribute I appeal to in answering that question. Because if I do, then I'm only going to say, is the Bible sufficient to supply the words, all the words of God divinely inspired that we need for life and salvation? The answer to that is yes. It's all, every time the answer to that is yes. But do you see that that actually doesn't help us relate that knowledge all that much to that particular type of knowledge? You need the authority question. And the authority question specifically in, what's the relative degree of authority that that source of knowledge has over my understanding of this person's experience? Okay? And then, so, so the authority the authority question happens with those two parts. It's a content question, and it's a priority question. Okay? So to apply the authority of Scripture, I want to think about content questions, like how do these claims about OCD square or fail to square with what God says about people? That's the most global question. That's very generic, and you have to like boil it down. But how do I process these observations through a biblical view of people that recognizes their spiritual nature, their design purpose for worship, their fallen condition, and any number of other theological truths that we see in Scripture? Okay? So, insofar as a source of knowledge contradicts any of the revealed truth of God in terms of the content, that has less authority. Does this make sense to you? But it's not just a matter of content. This is the trickier part. It's also a matter of priority or emphasis. So let me give you some emphasis questions. <clears throat> so once you've, once you've asked the content questions, you're asking the emphasis questions, and you weigh 
What priority should these insights have in my approach? How do I emphasize the central concern of Scripture, of the heart relating to God, while still acknowledging that there is a real sense in which God also designed us as psychosomatic beings, as, as physiological beings who operate in these particular ways. Okay? So you have, to, you have to answer the priority question too. Answering the second set of questions about OCD is just as hard as answering the first set. I've noticed that much of the disagreement in biblical counseling and Christian counseling in general <clears throat> over the years, I think actually is more about the priority of emphasis than the content, okay? And so what I'm saying is when I do end up opening my mouth and leading that person in a counseling session, how much am I focusing on the dynamics of habituation and how much am I, am I, am I bringing the conversation back to what, what fear ultimately is at the ground level of, of moral agency has to do with God, doesn't it? It has to do with living in a fallen world. It has to do with longing for a place of ultimate safety. It has to do with, I've noticed this as I've counseled people, oftentimes it has to do deeply with OCD issues, have to do with their controlling desire for certainty, okay? If I'm not ontologically, epistemologically certain that I know something beyond the shade of a doubt, then I can't function and move forward. And, and, and so a lot of it is they have to wrestle with, am I going to trust God with the limitations of my humanity, right? So I'm just giving you examples of where do you, em where do you emphasize and, and so the degree of authority that you attribute to that external source, you have to measure on the priority scale as well. It doesn't have to be my supreme authority in, in my use in counseling. So <clears throat> I am looking at the time, and I have now my application points, which are so amazing they would shock you, okay? And I'm just not going to get to them. No, I'm just kidding. Let me at least introduce them to you. They're not all that good. Okay, I was just joking around. <clears throat> so, so, so just four quick points that I would apply to my own field, my own discipline, in, in regards to what I've said. <clears throat> First, we should never move away from the sufficiency of Scripture in our counseling approach or in anything else. Okay? If the Bible is not prized as the exclusive source of God's inspired perspective of human life, the other sources of knowledge will crowd out Scripture. Okay? Um, so just in a nutshell, I, what I'm saying is I do, I do think sometimes, at least in biblical counseling, we exclusively emphasize uh, sufficiency as if that's the only attribute. So I've, I've warned us against that. But my first application point is we should never be embarrassed by a, a good, hearty understanding of the sufficiency of Scripture. That's a, that's a glorious attribute of it. We don't need other, there are no other divinely inspired words that we have or need. So I'm, I'm thankful for that zeal, okay? But secondly, <clears throat> Christian counselors need to be clear about when they are disagreeing about sufficiency questions, which is an absolute category, and when they are disagreeing about authority questions, which is a category of degree. 
Do you see that if, if everything is about a sufficiency issue, then there's really no room to even enter into a conversation because it's the on-off switch. That's not sufficient. Uh, oh, okay. Well, I don't, I don't know where to go in the conversation now. That's a very different thing than if you are to come and to register a concern. Brother, that article that you read or the way you described your approach to that, that individual case, I think you are actually attributing too much authority to that particular source or that particular method that you read about um, in that journal or, or, or in that thing. So, so do you see that this, this, this leaves room for a conversation within an orthodox faith community that's trying to figure out a lot of the tough nuances of, of, of the complexities of human life. And you can land in different places there and still be on board with trying to honor the sufficiency and the authority of Scripture. Okay? So, honestly, guys, it's a tricky task. It's really tricky. Because there are times where, where you are going to be really comfortable with something because you're more studied on it and you know the limitations of what you're saying, but someone else is hearing terminology for the first time and they're thinking you're adopting the whole system. And then, and then, and then there's a sort of a, 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 a gut response and, and, and conversation shuts down. I'm sure there's analogies in your own fields to when this goes on. Okay, but let me move on. Thirdly, as Christian, Christian counselors, I'm sorry, as Christian counselors answer authority questions, they have to keep in mind the scripture's authority is about both the content and the priority of knowledge. Okay? So, I, 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 have, I have way more to say, but let me just boil it down to this. Something can describe uh, a human experience in a true way. But that doesn't mean that that truth is equally important with other truths. Does that make sense? There's a priority of knowledge. And so I think the authority of Scripture simply means this, that what Scripture emphasizes as most central to human life and human purpose and human experience is what we have to maintain emphasizing as central to human life and experience. So, so part of submitting to the Bible means that we are submitting to its emphases. We are submitting to its priorities. In other words, what it pays most attention to, we pay most attention to. doesn't mean we ignore the other stuff, but that stuff is prioritized in a fundamentally uh, different way. And then finally, Christian counselors must acknowledge that authority issues, okay, authority issues actually can become sufficiency issues if the errors in the content or priority of knowledge become established features of a counseling approach, okay? It's a really long-winded way of just saying, if we are undermining the authority of Scripture in the ways that I'm saying, or, or letting it slip, and that becomes sort of, that, that becomes an established practice of our approach, an established feature of the approach, that is sort of a long-term undermining of Scripture really being sufficient to uh, help and bring people uh, along to, to, to honor God and their responses within the context of where they're at. So those that, that's me trying to land the plane in a practical way in the care of people. And so I guess 
I guess the heart behind my talk here is I want us to, to retain supreme loyalty to the word of God as what equips us to see life from God's perspective, to understand even emotional problems, even obsessions and compulsions from a Godward perspective. If you lose the Godward perspective, you have nothing unique to offer. And you actually don't ultimately help the person, okay? But, in, but, 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 but the heart of where I'm going is in the, in the legitimate and sincere attempt to have a Godward perspective, I think the authority attribute, not just the sufficiency attribute, allows us to have a, have a genuine conversation about the varying degrees of authority of these other sources of knowledge. And we're not always going to agree off the bat. It takes a process. So you'll remember, you would way rather get the question, why did God make animals, than why did God allow Adam and Eve to sin? I would imagine that every single one of you in this room would answer that question slightly differently. And you could critique the other person for, well, you, you, I wouldn't have started with that angle. I would add this angle, or you didn't, you didn't cover this aspect of it. And so we just have to have room for a genuine uh, effort along those lines.